Welcome to Confessing the Faith, the theological and devotional walk through the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith. I am your host, Sam Waldron, pastor of Grace Reformed Baptist Church in Owensboro, Kentucky, and president of Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. Today we'll be considering the subject of chapter 2 of the Confession, which is entitled, Of God and the Holy Trinity. It seems to me that there are few things of which the Christian church, and indeed our society in general, need more than a return to the majestic view of God taught in the Scriptures and confessed in chapter 2 of the 1689 Baptist Confession. Here we have epitomized the classical Christian theism of the historic tradition of the church. Here we have itemized the specific attributes of that majestic God of the Bible. And as I said, there's nothing we need more than a renewed view of this God. It seems to me that the term God is often and increasingly getting used in a lower and baser way than it was in former decades and years of our society. The danger of this cultural debasing of what Godhood means is that the whole foundation of the Christian religion will be eroded in people's minds. How does chapter 2 approach the doctrine of God? Well, it does so in three parts or sections corresponding to its three paragraphs. Paragraph 1 speaks of the attributes of God. Paragraph 2 speaks of the relations of God. Paragraph 3 speaks of the trinity or triunity of God. Let's start talking about paragraph 1 in this time together. Paragraph 1 lists approximately 18, depending on how you count, attributes of God. This list may be broken down, however, into perhaps eight subsections. And it will be helpful, I think, to think through the paragraph in terms of these eight subsections. The Confession speaks first of divine singularity. When it says, the Lord our God is but one only living and true God. Here is a great and foundational truth about the divine, which was the great emphasis of the revelation of God to Israel. Deuteronomy 6.4 is its classic assertion. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. There is only one God. Only one God is actually alive. Only one God is the true God. It is Yahweh, the God of Israel. No one shares his glory as the true God. Only he is to be loved as God, worshipped as holy, and sought in prayer. But then the confession speaks of aseity when it says, whose subsistence is in and of himself, infinite in being and perfection. Aseity refers to the self-existence of God. This God is absolutely ultimate and derives his existence from nothing prior to himself. The pagan Greek gods derive their existence from the titans who preceded them. There is something, I think, about the all-absolute ultimacy which of God, which runs counter to the way in which we human beings want things to be. Perhaps it's a perverse desire to escape the final accountability we have to the true God, so to speak, the inescapability of God. But there is nothing behind or before, and there's no way to escape the true God. He is self-existent. Isaiah 48, 12 assumes and asserts the aseity or self-existence of God when it says, listen to me, O Jacob, even Israel whom I called, I am he, I am the first, I am also the last. And then the confession speaks of divine incomprehensibility. When it says, whose essence cannot be comprehended by any but himself, such singularity and self-existence as that of which we've been speaking 
is certainly incomprehensible. One classic scriptural assertion of this is Job 11, 7 to 9. Can you discover the depths of God? Can you discover the limits of the Almighty? They are high as the heavens, and what can you do? Deeper than Sheol, what can you know? Its measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. There is, according to Scripture, no sounding or measuring the depths of this infinite divine ocean by a finite mind. The acceptance of ultimate mystery is what must go along with accepting the existence of the God of the Bible. This is a humbling reality which demands that we accept that we are perpetual infants in our understanding of the depths of the true God. And then the confession speaks of divine simplicity. When it says, a most pure spirit, invisible, without body, parts, or passions, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light, which no man can approach onto. One of the unavoidable implications of the singularity and self-existence of the true God is the simplicity of God. The simplicity of God means, simply, that God is not composed of any pre-existing elements which, when brought together, make God. If this were true, the God of the Bible would be neither single, self-existent, or truly ultimate. The truly ultimate thing would be that of which he is composed. Now, once more, this is a feature of God that is absolutely beyond our reckoning. The attributes of God are real and distinct features of his being, but they are all simply distinct ways of looking at the simple divine essence. They are not a combination of bodies, parts, or passions. One classic assertion of the simple and passionless character of the true God is Job 35, verses 4 to 8. I will answer you and your companions with you. Look to the heavens and see, and behold the clouds, they are higher than you. If you sin, what do you accomplish against him? Or if, you are tra- if your transgressions are multiplied, what do you do to him? If you are righteous, righteous, what do you give him? Or what does he receive from your hand? Your wickedness affects a man such as you, and your righteousness a son of man. Such simplicity and impassibility does not mean that the God of the Bible is some sort of immobile force with whom it is impossible to have a personal relationship. On the contrary, it means that we can have a relationship with a God whose character, unlike those of the people around us, will never change or alter. His love and goodness toward us are an expression of his simple divine essence. How different is the glorious God of the Bible from the puny gods of human imagination? And next time, we will continue to meditate on the attributes of God underscored in the Confession. Thank you for listening to Confessing the Faith on the Man of God Network, brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. CBTS is a confessional Reformed Baptist seminary which provides affordable online theological education to help the church in its calling to train faithful men for the gospel ministry. To learn more about how you can partner with us in providing informed scholarship with Pastor Earl Hart, visit cbtseminary.org.